Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, it's Sonia and Ben. Hi, welcome to Londoners, where we chat to the people behind the coolest things in London. Today we're talking to Shamal Takra, the founder of Dashoom. Ah, the famous bacon nun. But Sonia, do you put an egg in it? Hmm, only at Easter. To be honest, I'm all about the black doll. All right, goth. You ready to dive into the world of Bombay-inspired cafes? Oh, wait, can we have a bacon nun first? After. Oh. This room is called the Rippin' Club. Mm. And the reason it's called the Ripping Club is that all of our meeting rooms are named after places in Bombay. Yeah. And this is named after the old club for Parsis in Bombay, which was started, I imagine, in the sort of mid-19th century. And it's full of sleeping old men. Right. <laughs> and I'm going to have really a dose. Cool place. Yeah, yeah, it's really bit. good. They have these chairs called fornicators, which, uh, well, I mean, um, so they're, they're the chairs which are, that you sit back on them. They're, they're plantation chairs, I think. And the arms sort of flip forward and you can put your legs up. Like a Venus flytrap of chairs. Well, it, right, exactly. Although, although some wag is obviously named fornicators and I'm sure, you know, in plantations they may have been used for some sort of purpose related to that name. But you, you see these old men asleep with their legs akimbo. I'm these sorry fornicators. we don't have any of those in here. <laughs> we do in the King's Cross restaurant, oh. Bombay fornicators. We're sitting yeah. on sofas, not lying in fornicators, just so you can picture this. But the, the, the Ripon Club is a fantastic Bombay institution. And uh, there's billiard tables and crumbling walls. And, and uh, you can have dunsuk, which is a Parsi dish, a speciality, on a Wednesday. And you'll go in there and uh, you, you've got to know members, but it's very cool, very sleepy. I mean, you fall asleep walking in there. It's so good. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, yeah. Can you get us in? I can get you in. Can I you know play billiards? Yeah, you can play billiards. Can you Can you? Can play? I play billiards? Yeah. Personally, no, I'm completely rubbish. Yeah, I don't know how to play that. Yeah. No. No idea the rules. I, I, love, I love The Hustler, the old Paul Newman film, but I'm yeah. afraid I can't shoot Paul. You know, one day. Yeah. Aspirationals. One day I can be Paul Newman. Right. Uh, well, thanks for, for having us uh, in here. We want to get right into your past. Oh, my God. <laughs> your, whole, yes. your whole journey of food and What was your relationship are. with your mother when you were young? <laughs> yes, this is a therapy session. <laughs> yes, you know I'm that, just right? just going to lie down. Just you over it, Sonia. <laughs> um, but, I mean, did you, did you always want to work in food? No. No, I had no interest in food. In fact, my mum tells me that when she took me to Indian restaurants when I was, you know, six or seven, I used to refuse to eat anything. And she used to have to give me a piece of naan and the sweet mango chutney for years. <laughs> so she was very shocked when I, when I announced that I was going to go into Indian restaurants. So you were a fussy eater as a child. <laughs> I think I was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll eat anything now. Uh, but uh, back then, I, I was a very fussy eater. So it wasn't a particularly natural thing for me to have done. So how did it come about that you launched a shoom here? Um... I mean, it's a it's a really fair question. 
And I'm not sure. It, so so I, th- I would love to say I was passionate about food. And from a young age, I was into different kinds of food. But that would be a lie. I think I was, um, I was quite excited about... So I, th- I think Britain and India have a long and complacent relationship. And, you know, we can talk about uh, the, the exploitative nature or otherwise of that relationship. Maybe the tables are turning today. But um, in, in a way, um, old relationships can get very complacent. And I feel like... Um, the, the relationship consisted of cliche. So when British people think about India, they might have been thinking about either uh, Bollywood or cricket or Days of the Raj or Maharajas and Palaces or Curry House. Maybe now you have IT, you know, there's a sort of that thing. But there's only five things, five cliches. And India's not like that at all. And and I, I've really felt that um, to re- recreate that relationship using food was, was what we wanted to do. And in a way also, Indians are very cool people. But we weren't. We didn't have cool stuff in our culture, sort of cultural representation. The Italians are just effortlessly cool. They have Dolce Vita and Fellini, and you know the French have berets and Gauloises and the left bank, and obviously the Latins are just really cool. But it, we didn't have that. You know, with the best will in the world, Bollywood wasn't that cool. And and yet, what I wanted to do is to recontextualize something as simple as a cup of chai, and and make people feel cool while they were drinking it. And I, th- I think you do that if you're just around here in Disham Shoreditch, you can walk in and you feel cool and you have chai and and I think Indians love it because they can bring their English friends and say look this is this is who and we just are show off a little and bit. English people bring their or bring their Indian friends and say hey look you're going to love this and young people bring their old folks and say oh look it's all nostalgic and old people bring their young folks because it's hip and cool and I really I really sort of love that idea and for me food was a sort of vehicle by which to do that and then gradually as we started this business I've just fell in love with the whole thing and and you know became sort of a foodie but I, I wouldn't. I would use that term hesitatingly about myself. Yeah. So some of it's around telling that story, right? Yeah. Which I think is very cool because um, there's just so much can go into it, like you say. So you got half of it's kind of what educating people a little bit through, you know, the little yeah. niceties of. I think so. I mean, I'm sort of um, we, we we think of ourselves as, as as creating a slice of a sort of older and idealized Bombay. So we welcome you through the threshold and we sort of mess with you a bit. We bring you into this, this quite quite different environment. And a lot, a lot of what we do, you won't be conscious of. I mean, all the, the way that, um, you know, we think about all the different aspects of design and all the stuff that a customer might, uh, I guess, might touch along the way. We sort of work on that quite hard. I mean, for example, this is going to sound a bit weird. The loo doors are slightly the wrong shape. They're slightly too narrow. So when you go in, you almost have to turn to go in them. And it's a bit like when you might go to Germany, the soap is in the wrong place on the sink. You know, maybe they keep it up here. So I don't know what they do. But, but you know, that sort of slight sense of dislocation where the switches work the wrong way or something's wrong. We work on that. So that when you come in subliminally, you've been transported somewhere else. So you're not, so cop- you're not just kind of, you know, on autopilot. You have to kind of be a bit more mindful about where you yeah. are. Well, that's right. Yeah. In fact, that's, that's true. And, and even the journeys to the loo are flipping long. Like we make you walk quite a long way. So you're <laughs> yeah, bursting I've noticed So that. it feels great to go and, you know, We have that in our office at the moment. There's, the, there's a, like a, a box on the wall and you think it's soap. So you go to, you know, push the lever down and it's mouthwash. Right. <laughs> Every <Yeah>. time. It's <laughs> just disorientating you. I know. But I'm learning. So switch the deodorant and the shaving foam. That's what you do. <laughs> So um, you opened the first uh, one in Covent Garden nine years ago, yeah. right? And so what was the reaction to the first the first opening? I, th- I think people didn't um, know necessarily what to make of it. I think we, we um, I don't think we really knew what to make of it. I mean, we were pretty raw as well. My, my, my found co-founders back then and I, we, we didn't really have much experience in restaurants. So we were quite new to this. And and I, I think of that as a, as a sort of very... This is an early version of the gym. I think we've evolved, obviously, significantly since then. And then people came in. They didn't know what to expect. We were sort of early in the, 
I, I don't think we explicitly went out to have a queue or anything like that. We just thought, let's not take reservations. It doesn't make any sense. And we need to bring people in. People should be able to turn up. And then queues formed. And if I'm honest, our initial queue was just a shit show. So people turned <laughs> up outside and they were sort of jostling. You know, those horrible queues where you're not sure if you're in position and you have to catch the host side. It's a bit like being in a, a bar Quite where stressful, you have to have yeah. bar presence. And Waiting all for that. a bus, isn't it? It's like, who's oh, getting on yeah. first well, it was horrend- It was like that. And, mm. and I don't think it was because we were very popular. I think it was because we didn't know how to get people in. We had one host in that restaurant. When she was on her night job, it was just all collapsed. I mean, it was, it was really weird. But, but look, we, we, we eventually made it work. Um, but I think there was also a perception that um, I remember Jay Rayner's review where he said this will appear in Basingstoke, you know, flat packed and transported there within within a few months. So this this is obviously some sort of nasty big rollout. And um, I remember I served him as well. I mean, I remember him coming in and I gave him chai and waited on him lovingly and smiled at him winningly. Um, I was like, this is too much. <laughs> well, well, he, he, he looked up at a, 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 the, the artwork he commented on. He says, you could, frankly, this buy this rubbish, buy the yard, you know, at some sale. And it was my grandmother's photograph he sat next oh, to. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it wasn't just the photograph. It was the arranged marriage photograph that my grandmother had sent or my grandmother's family had sent to my grandfather's family. So I literally wouldn't be sitting here today, poof, you know, I wouldn't be here without that photograph because that was the one that engineered the marriage. But Did you tell him that story? I haven't met him since, um, but he, he was read a scathing review. I mean, the wonderful thing is just two days ago, in fact, I think he's apologized about this since, but just two days ago in the OFM, he wrote a piece about his 20 years as a food critic. And he said the one mistake he made in his whole career was wow. to show. Really? Yeah. Great. That's a good, it's it's a feel good. So yeah. thank you, Jay. For listening. But, <laughs> and he, he said it was killer bacon non rolls and great food. So he was, he was really generous. Oh, good. So, you know, tables of turn. Ha- happy ending. Yeah. Because so, because obviously, authenticity is really important to you yeah. at Dishim. Um, so like, how do you kind of, how do you make sure it does feel like the real deal, without like you know having a big sign being like, "This is my grandma." You know? <laughs> I think the way I, I don't know the answer to how you should do it. How we do it, I think, is just by being completely obsessive. So we we don't necessarily tell you everything we're doing, but we just do a lot of it. So every single detail in every single restaurant is rooted um including the food and the uh, the, the drink but it's rooted in some aspect of bombay so all the food for example we re- research really really thoroughly um and and we go back to bombay a lot we, we look at the recipes we wander around the streets we find the best version of each dish and we, we try and really work on that and make it even better than that um sometimes obviously we have a flight of fancy like the bacon non roll which is just sort of fun we're gonna come on to that <laughs> I can't the bacon non roll. <laughs> um we're thinking about doing a double bacon non roll oh hello god cool. yes um but in terms of the uh, restaurants and the restaurants, the, the physical spaces, there is literally a 50-page guide to each restaurant that all the team get and have to memorize. I mean, don't test them on it, but it's pretty, pretty a big ask. But uh, every single design detail, including, you know, frankly, the, the um, sort of which screws we use in the lobby um, and, and <laughs> really? all the bits of, yeah, I'll come back to that. Um, all, all the graffiti, all the pictures, every single picture is placed for a reason. Um, and they're all references to some article, some thing, some feature that we've seen in Bombay somewhere. So it's all, it's all the stuff we do. So we throw so much authenticity at you that we sort of hope you smell it. And, and each and restaurant is kind of, it has a different sort of, I don't know whether you'd call it a theme or a like story. a story. Yeah, yeah so we, we literally write down, I used to do it myself and, and now um, Ginny and Sarah help um, or write it now. But uh, we literally write a story, a sort of founding myth. We invent the protagonist um, for each restaurant. And the protagonist, he or she, has a story and something happens to them and they end up, you know, owning the space. So, for example, in the Kingly Street one, where I might come back to the story of the screws in the lobby, but in the Kingly Street one, it's the 1960s. And 
because it's Carnaby and it's cool. So we, we imagined a young man uh, from the Irani community who comes to London from Bombay, who's comes here because he wants to study accounting or law, something dull like that. But then he becomes a songwriter. And we find him sometimes dancing in the Adler with Gene Shrimpton and David Bailey or tripping at sunrise in Primrose Hill. But then we find him in the Oceanic Terminal in Heathrow Airport, as it then was, smoking a cigarette, as you then did, looking out across the windows. He has great clothes on, big flares from Lord John and mates on Carnaby Street. And and he's got a telegram in his pocket, in his chest pocket, a palm printed sadness on his chest, which says, come home, your dad's expired, as we would say. <laughs> and, and so he goes home. And of course, inevitably, his father used to own or owns an Irani cafe. And the restaurant we created in Kingley Street is, is that cafe. And we also discovered um, that in the 1960s, there was this extraordinary rock scene in, in Bombay, a small but cool rock scene where kids had listened to the Beatles and the Stones, picked up the guitars and recorded music. We found all those people who were left and we brought them back to London. We, re- we, we got a compilation of their music together. We literally got the band there. back together. Well, they, we were going to get them to play for the opening night, but we were worried they wouldn't sort of be able to <laughs> make it. They're quite doddery, <laughs> lovely child. people. Um, and, and had some fun times. We spent time with a character called Asha Putli, who had washed up later on. She's from Bombay. She washed up later on with Andy Warhol in New York and told stories about Mick Jagger and Andy Warhol. Amazing. So we, we work on all that and then create the space of that story. And each restaurant has a, has a sort of different story. That's um, amazing. I have been to that restaurant loads and I didn't know no. that that was that man, that, you know, that guy behind it. Have you, you listened know? to our record? Yes. Right. I've got the yeah, record. Yeah, so you've it's got great. all that. Would so, recommend. So the reason I mentioned the screws in the lobby was that when we first fitted out the lobby, we had um, Phillips screws and, and we changed them all. So the builders thought we were nuts because in the 1960s, they only had flat-headed screws. So we had to change them all so it looked and felt right. The attention to detail. Yeah, literally no that detail too small. How, how many were talking? Uh, quite a few screws. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the, the builders the were pretty upset. place together. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's get into the menu because this is where things kind of get very interesting. I mean, it'd be good to kind of get to know how how you kind of the concept for it came came together. And I suppose my, one of the big questions I've got is around the, the bacon naan. Did you expect it to be like the hit that it constantly is? No, we just thought it was a bit of fun. I mean, we were working with a chef back then. Um, our, our chef, Naved, sort of owns a bacon naan role now. And in fact, Naved, who is a strict Muslim... Uh, was featured in GQ during Eid about the bacon and roll. Oh, wow. was quite, I mean, but he's such a cool guy. He's lovely. And we, 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 um, you know, obviously have a deep respect for each other's, um, you know, sort of faiths. I've got a funny story about that in a minute as well. But, um, so the bacon and roll was invented, uh, by us. There was a lovely guy called Stephen who helped us do that. And he says, look, dish him breakfast, you know, simple, just put some bacon in a naan. <laughs> And we did. And then we invented some chili jam. There's a bit of cream cheese in there, oh, a bit God, of coriander. Don't. I'm so hungry. And um, it's a really simple dish. I mean, it's really not complicated. True. But it's it's like every time you come to a dish room, you don't not order that in fear of, you know, being just missing out on having it. It's good. Yeah, I love it. Uh, the so, bacon and egg non roll is, is, is the good one. I mean, one I've there. tended yeah. to go more towards the bacon and egg, just yeah. you know, extra. And also that the, the way the yolk squirts across your shirt. <laughs> Especially when you're wearing yeah. a white one. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's great. <laughs> um, so has the menu changed a lot over the years then, if you've had different people kind of working on it? Or? Well, I mean, the, the, the menu, when we first launched, um, we, we had some help doing that from Stephen and another lady called Anita, who is a culinary professor. But uh, Naved, who's our exec chef, came along before we launched and put his own touch to it. And he, um, he he's now evolved the menu and developed it. And so, so it has changed a decent amount. Some dishes are still true and pure. So the black dal is, is what it was. The, the baan is what it was. 
Um, but other stuff we've we've sort of messed around with and had fun with and evolved it and done better versions of it and so forth. So what's been some of your favourite things on the menus over the years then? I mean, I, I think the dal. Mm. The dal is incredible. tired of that. Kind yeah, of and it's, you know, six pounds, bit of Romali roti, I mean, lovely. And and it's it's inexpensive. It's 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 really hard to cook. It takes a day to cook. Yeah. Um, and in fact, we, we're just doing the Dishim book, which you guys might have heard about. But um, the recipe for the dal is, is in, it the in there. It's That's in the book. literally one of the questions I have written it is, down here. It is literally the right <laughs> recipe. But but the, um, we, we had someone work with us to, to make those recipes friendly for the sort of home cook. So I don't have to take a day off to <laughs> right, make you, that. Don't, you don't need to make a vat. So we had to move them from vat cooking to, you know, a smaller pot. And and Nick Nicklew helped us with that. She, she said it took her 12 goes to get it right. So the recipe is, is ostensibly simple, but there, there's a lot of sort of magic in that. But I, I go back to that dish. It's just great. Do you ever make the bacon naan at home for yourself? No, I don't have a tandoor. <laughs> <laughs> I would singe all the hairs off my arm, but... <laughs> Sadly, uh, but we do. In the, so in the, in the book, there is a there is a recipe for making naan at home, right? Which isn't bad. Okay, I'm very excited about that. It seems quite complicated, but you know, I'll give it a go. Yeah, yeah, you should. It's it's not as bad as it might as it might feel. You don't have to take a day off for of that either, right? No, no, I'll buy okay. thunder. Yeah. Um, are you a good cook? I'm not that great a cook. I mean, I, I used to cook quite a lot. I cook less now since we started the show. I've started cooking a bit more recently. I've started cooking from the green roasting tin. Do you know that? That's a great book. It's a book where um, you basically shovel the ingredients in a tin and stick it in the oven and it comes out really good. That I sounds mean, it's like amazing. my kind of... And it's a vegan, vegetarian. Right, okay. Um, so I do, do cook at home. I wouldn't say I'm a fab cook, but I can you know, cook the odd good dish. So you, you mentioned the cues before. Um, they're obviously quite a, a talking point for a, for a lot of people. Do you think you're almost like a victim of your own success in that way? Um, You've made it into like a feature. Yeah. I wasn't intended. I mean, I, we didn't have this thing that I know, let's create a business model based on cues. Yeah. It really wasn't. Someone and I still, probably has. Well, so someone might have, yeah, might think that, but I, I just, I still feel sort of like I walk past the queue and think, this is amazing that people want to queue for two hours. My first response is amazing that I'm really, really proud that people want to come and eat our food. But and then I feel suddenly bad that we're making everyone wait and, and, so I, I don't know how to feel about it. But I think in the end, it's the thing that allows Dishim not to be a long-term reserved experience. So we, we'd basically have a queue, but you just have to make a reservation. You wouldn't get a table for a month in advance. I mean, there, there are so many people calling our reservations line. Um, in fact, for a, place, for a place that doesn't take bookings, we have a really massive reservation thing because we do take bookings <laughs> for the daytime and for groups of six and above. Um, but essentially, you wouldn't be able to get a table for months, which is not how we want Dishim to be. Mm. We want people to just to tip up and enjoy enjoy it and hang out and i think that it also allows us to keep our prices really keen as well so having having people come along and making sure the tables are really full means that we can keep prices as keen as possible which i'm absolutely yeah you know, is really important to us yeah is there a good time to come because i found like a sort of early dinner on a sunday is quite good it's like good around yeah. like a full five yeah five o'clock five it's good o'clock. time yeah. yeah it's good time i thought you're gonna say like 6 30 a.m be prepared <laughs> to wait a little bit get there at 5 a.m i mean the pre- breakfast is, is good you can usually rock up and get a get a bacon naan roll pretty fast um let's get into some of the stuff that maybe a lot of people don't necessarily know about with yeah. with this room, a lot of the initiatives that you guys run yeah and uh, i mean there's, there's a few right so maybe we should get in deep um well i mean there's a bunch of stuff we do we, we sort of discovered that um i don't know i mean it's it's a when we first um started the business we were quite we, we thought that profit was a point of of business and um 
I don't think it is actually in a way the um and I think I think what was wrong with that is that um when when you first start a business you know you hear all this orthodoxy you have to focus on profit and all of that we eventually realized that in the restaurant business in order to make it a success you really had to focus on three things this is going to sound stupid awesome food and drink awesome service and a happy team and and then you control your costs and the profit follow but if you focus on the profit people would go back and negotiate the price of lamb chops every 10 minutes and you know send team home when there was no customers and then of course when the customers came in there was no team to look after them. It didn't make any sense. And gradually we realized it was super important to look after the team. We realized it was super important to make a contribution to society. It was super important to have good fit. So all our sort of philosophy grew from that realization that profit really wasn't the best way to, to create a great business. Um, and, and so a lot of the stuff that I think you're referring to com- comes from that philosophy. I mean, with, with our people, we work super hard on that. So just recently we... Um, uh, we we got to number nineteen on the Times Top One Hundred Places to Work list, which was which was really cool. Congratulations! Thank you. Um, we work really hard on that. We're super keen to get even higher on that list because I think it, it is a good external validation of the fact that we're trying really really hard. Um, and in fact, in that list, we were listed. You know, in those one hundred companies, yeah. we were number two for pay and benefits, which I'm really really proud of. Wow, that's great. Which is a, a super cool thing. So I mean, looking after our people is dead important. But even other stuff like. Um, I mean, some stuff we put in place in the early days and we thought we'd, it wouldn't really matter, but, but now we're being held to it. So, for example, in year two or three when we opened, there was not that many people. Um, we said that anyone who works with Deshim for more than five years or who makes it to general manager or head chef, we would take to Bombay. Uh, and myself and Covey, my cousin and partner, we, we would take them and show them Bombay for three days. Amazing. And we thought no one's ever going to stay for five years, are they? Um, and now this you're there every <laughs> well, few weeks. Well, this year it was 30 people. Oh, wow. So it's become a... It's you know, been a festival. It's ridiculous. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's become nuts. So I think we'll, you know, it might be... I, I don't know how we do it because we go to some of these really small cafes, which frankly don't have spots for 30 people to sit down. <laughs> going shift. Yeah, yeah. We, do, we do. So we've had to split it and, and we've had to do some logistics and it's getting a bit uh, less manageable. But even stuff like um, we, we do something called the Family Mela, which is where we close the restaurants for a day in the summer and we take out the whole of a field in Mudshoot Farm, which is just down, you know, down in the Isle of Dogs. And we, we put up a festival. So we put up dodgems and a Ferris wheel and loads of cool stuff, massages, therapists, and loads and loads of street food and drinks and a band and karaoke. And everyone brings their, the whole team come along because there's no work that day. And, and they bring their families, our suppliers come with their families. It's really, really brilliant. And that, when you're a small business, the, the sort of the check that you have to write to do that is sort of okay we can do that but when you get to be a bigger business you're like wow that's that's a lot lot of but we're committed to it we have to do it it's just what we want to do um so we, we're, we're super keen on on um on making sure that we're a fantastic place to work and then there's a sort of charity stuff we do as well so once back in i don't know 2013 or 14 um we were sitting around a table of food and chef was talking about ramadan and none of us knew what ramadan was really and we knew that it was about fasting and we, um, Chef sort of said, well, actually, look, it's about charity. It's about zakat. It's a really important thing to deprive yourself of something so you know what it's like not to have things. And so we came up with the idea of supporting um, children, feeding children for every meal we served. And I think that time we served two kids for every meal we served at Deshim, one in East London via Magic Breakfast and one in India via Akshay Patra, which is a great charity. And then at Diwali the same year, we decided, look, we just make this permanent. We're going to stick this into our business. And it's not... It's not that we're adding a pound to the bill or we're asking you to pay. It's, it's, it's coming out of our costs. We just basically fund it. So every time we feed a meal, we count, obviously, the number of people we serve. We just give the money for, for, the, for the kids to eat. And 
I think so far we've gotten up to about 5.7 million meals. Wow. So it's a, it's a, that's amazing. It's a decent amount of meals. Mm. And it's really, yeah, it's, it's really cool. And I think for our staff, it's a big deal too, because it's just really good that we're not only serving people in London or Edinburgh or Manchester, but we're actually just trying to fix a social problem, which is pretty, pretty corrosive. Absolutely. I know we've chatted about it before, mm. but the kind of, you kind of host like events. So you've got the holy party that you do, yeah, and yeah. then you kind of do, you do stuff kind of like Hindu stuff and Muslim stuff. And you're kind of, you, we've chatted before about kind of having you want to, how you want to educate people and get yeah. like non-Muslims to come to Hindu things. You know, do you want to tell us a bit more about that? Uh, yeah, I'd love to. It just, so, so one thing that um, I find quite upsetting, I mean, I don't know if you read the narrative in the media and, and it feels very split, doesn't it? So it doesn't feel like there's an awful lot of people just just being calm and cool and understanding each other. And and I think that um, differences surely, because we all have them, right? We're all weird in our different ways. Surely must be understood and celebrated because we're all weird and wacky and interesting. And and I, I feel like a, a cool and weird Hindu festival is when we all decide to throw colour on each other. In India, in India, everyone gets high. Everyone drinks bang, which is marijuana, and sticks it in their lussy and gets high. We don't do that here, obviously. Why not? Uh, CBD. Shortage. You could do CBD infused <laughs> chai. We're thinking about putting CBD in our bang lussy, actually. Oh, Yeah, great. except we're, we're experimenting with that. Um, I thought yeah. I felt a little bit funny with this tea, actually. <laughs> that, that's got stronger stuff in it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but that sense in which... So, so at, our, at our Eid event um, re- recently, we had 1,000 people attend, and half of them were not Muslim. And and so if if you can have a situation where maybe next time some idiot goes off Westminster Bridge and stabs somebody and says, "Hey, it's for ISIS," the backlash is just that little bit smaller, but because because of something we did, because everyone was together uh, enjoying a Kawali band and doing Mendy and celebrating something and coming together over over different traditions. I, th- I think I think it can really change a city. And I think that if if London is already extremely multicultural and mixed, but I think if we're very self-consciously able to celebrate each other's festivals, it is awesome. Um, we, we do a big Christmas carols as well, and I love nothing more than a good carol singing. And it's really cool to have lots of non-Christians who wouldn't normally go to a carol singing come along and sing their hearts out. It's just what we should be doing. We should be having fun and celebrating each other instead of, you know, getting distracted by all the crap that might go on in New Zealand or, you know, wherever it does. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you mentioned that you've got a lot of stuff there going on. Plus, you've, you know, you've now got place in Manchester and Edinburgh where do you find the time and how how hands-on are you with you know being involved in outside of London um I mean it it is it gets harder but we we I mean I I travel up to Edinburgh every sort of few weeks and Manchester every few weeks so we still and we, we still have a sort of management meeting in every restaurant every week sort of thing so every Thursday we meet and it it goes so so we get around every restaurant every seven weeks and we're still determined to do that it's I think it's really really important and I tried really hard to remember everyone's names. Now we're up to 900 people, so it's almost impossible. But I'm, I'm really keen to make this feel like a, a super small business, e- even though obviously with some, some extent swimming against the tide. Um, but Are we, you we still allowed really to tweet? Yeah, they confiscated my father. It's a controversial yeah. <laughs> subject. It's a live controversial <laughs> subject. So occasionally I'll just commandeer the Twitter and when, when it's a bit weird, um, it's me. Look I think, out for those tweets. <laughs> I think one time I tweeted, Right, you are. It's Friday night. Time to get shit faced. Yeah, and, and <laughs> off brand. Yeah, and everyone was like off brand, off brand, and we yeah. had some people saying that's not very responsible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I feel like you used to, you know, do all that and kind of be almost like yeah, the voice. Yeah, of the brand. So yeah. do you miss do you miss tweeting like that? Irresponsibly tweeting. <laughs> I do. Yeah, yeah. I was never drunken tweeting, so I don't think I was ever drunken tweeting. But but I, I do miss tweeting irresponsibly. So what do you what do you think of um, the food scene in London and how that's kind of evolved, especially since you know you guys first came about? Because yeah, a lot has happened. Yeah, 2010 is not the same as 2019. Mm. Yeah, it's all changed, isn't it? I mean, I remember back then, um, blogging was a big deal. Do you remember when the whole thing was food blog? Hello, before Instagram. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the blog blogging was a big deal back mm. then, and and so there wasn't Insta- Instagram didn't really exist. I suppose I think it no, had just no. been started in 2010. Yeah. In fact, in 2011, in our pop-up, we we did a big Instagram wall. And I think we were one of the early people to do that, where in the middle of the big overhead menu in the pop-up was was this big wall of Instagram pictures. And if you hashtagged us, it would appear up there. Yeah, right. And we had no means of taking pictures down once they went up. Yeah, so, <laughs> no control. We had no control. And yeah. and it was... Um, so I was just worried about... So the entire four months, we had no obscenities up there, which is really, impressive. really fortunate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was really impressive because it, it could have been a real failure. Um, so I, th- I remember bloggers used to come in and that was brilliant um, and there was no Instagram but but I suppose what's um, I think the Indian food scene has really changed since then mm. and and I think we we possibly were one of the early ones to really think differently about Indian food but since then I think we've we've been fortunate maybe to catalyze a lot of different people to think things so I think people saw us and say hey you can do something different for Indian food it, it doesn't have to be Banaras at one end or Curry House at the other you know there is room to do you know, cricket or gunpowder and some of these, you know, really great Absolutely, places that we yeah. now know. And, and and some of those guys have created fantastic food. They focus on different things and different regions. I love hoppers. Um, so, so I think, I think, um, I mean, I'm, I'm pleased that we sort of opened the way on that and gave people the confidence to do different things. Um, and I think it's led to a, you know, massive explosion of, of cool Indian food around, you know, as, as well as lots of other things in the city as well. Definitely. Yeah. Do you have any advice for people who wanted to open a restaurant? 
you mean an Indian restaurant in London? Well, just a restaurant in general. Just a restaurant. Right? I mean, it's a, it's quite a hard task to to get into. Yeah, I think it is. I, I think I think it's it's difficult. I mean, I, I um, I, I I would I would say this is that um, it's not an easy business. But I, but I think if you, if you sort of have a combination of um, being really inspired by something and passionate about it, but also just making sure you're hard headed enough to do those boring, mundane things like watch the cash and you know measure the things that really matter, that then I think you can make a go of it. Uh, and you, you've got to be dedicated and focused on the quality. Um, and I think there are new restaurants today which are starting, which are you know which are pretty fantastic. So I mean, what's if you've got the book coming out? Are there any other big? plans you've got for the future of Dishoom that you can share with us um we're, we're i guess in terms of growth we're keen to be really steady so we're, we're not doing growth for the sake of growth i think from our point of view um, jay rayner was wrong jay rayner was wrong we're not in basingstoke <laughs> although one day when we do go to basingstoke if we'll ever get there can, we'll have a picture it. of he jay can, rayner yeah, we'll bring him ribbon. in yeah we'll cut the ribbon he could be the story you know, yeah, that could be framed around him, that one. Do you know, I would love toilet. to have a ribbon cutting ceremony for the next day. We should do that. Why don't we have a ribbon? That's so much fun. <laughs> but we're so going to do that. That's a great Quite idea. That down. Yeah, that down. we're definitely going to do a ribbon. Um, we, we, we've got a mantra in the business, which is um, deepen, don't dilute. And so we, we, we think of ourselves, if we're not able to make things better, uh, whether it's food or service or the environment, then we shouldn't grow. So, so, and, th- and that puts a bottleneck on our growth. So, actually, we're not we're not looking at breakneck plans to grow. We'll be sort of steady. Um, and if we find good sites, we'll, we'll grow. If we can write good stories, we'll grow. So, we're, we're still busy, you know, thinking about all of that stuff. Um, and I, I think in terms of other big things as well, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm. Um, you remember the Kensington Theatre production we did, which was completely yeah, that bananas. was incredible. I, I, I really would love to do something another bonkers project like that, which was which was sort of mad. Um, the, the book has taken up an awful lot of time. So that's an awful lot of writing that we've had to do. And in fact, that that has been um, over the last year or so um, an enormous you know, investment um, of sort of attention. When is that out? September. And Black Doll incoming. <laughs> Black Doll. Yeah. I'm going to be making it every day at home. <laughs> well, it's, it's sort of it's a book and a travel guide. So the subtitle is is um, Cookery Book and Highly Subjective Guide to Bombay with Map. With map, <laughs> I like that. There's a fold-out map. There is actually a fold-out map, so you can take it with you and kind you of could haul it around. around. Yeah. It's, it's a doorstop. It's 400 pages, but um, take that map out. In essence, it's myself. Uh, it's, as if you were to go to Bombay on the boot camp with myself, Gavi, and Navid, and it's in sort of 10 chapters. And we start with breakfast at Kayani, which is uh, our favorite place for breakfast. It doesn't do bacon non rolls, um, but we, we do then walk around the local area and point cool stuff out. It's, it's, it's like a sort of walking guide to Bombay. And then we give you all the recipes for breakfast. And then on chapter two, we might have 11 and go to a really cool bakery um, called Yazdani. And the owner is completely mad. He won't let you order. He will order for you and wedge you down into a seat. So we go and have that experience. We're right about all of that. And then the history. And I get very excited about the great cotton bubble of 1860 in Bombay. And then we give you all the recipes for the bakery and so forth, all the way up to chapter 10, when we end with a sort of a stiff drink. Uh, overlooking the yeah, harbour. I was going to say, are there cocktails in there? Yeah, there are cocktails in Great. there. Yeah, and and lots of stuff about the Bombay rock scene, and we'll take you to the old clubs, and and, and so so it's sort of, um, I mean, we get quite distracted by non-food things, but I, I think it's quite good fun. Um, that sounds awesome. I'm I'm quite excited about having a read of that. Book your trip now. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds brilliant. Well, right, I think we're ready to move on to the next round, which is um, our little question time round. So we were Quick thinking... Quick fire. Of, yeah, well, it's... Yes. Oh, no. 
<laughs> no, no, no. Um, so obviously, <laughs> the bacon on roll, the signature dish of Dishoom, really. I mean, maybe the unofficial one. Maybe the doll. I don't know. I okay. know. Well, okay. So we're gonna we've got some signature dishes from some other restaurants in London, and so we're gonna name the dish. And if you can tell us where it's wow. from, you know where it's wow. from. Wow, I'm gonna be rubbish at this. Game. That's okay. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, we didn't know half of them. We had to look them up. Speak for yourself. Senor, <laughs> <but>. <laughs> right. Should I go first? Yes. The dead hippie. Oh, well, that's meat mission or liquor. Meat liquor. Bing! Congratulations. Yes. And that is a two beef patties fried in mustard cheese with minced raw onion. There you go. <laughs> that's, that's, I haven't eaten one of those for years. Um, what about uh, meat fruit? That's Heston at dinners. That's a good dish. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Excellent. Another ding. Another ding. Thank Bing! You. Um, the TSB trustee savings bank i have no idea what the tsb is the tsb yeah go on it's a pizza it's not the india pizza at pizza pilgrims obviously because that's not tsb i don't know what that is it's a pizza yeah i know my pizza it's yard sale yard sale yeah tender stone broccoli and pine nuts god it's so good damn yeah would recommend that one fingers off the pulse uh the katsu scotch egg ah I've even had that. What the hell is it? You you will know this. Yeah, I do. It's in Dalston. I'm helping. <laughs> you are helping. It's just like, oh, here on Kings and Road. No, it's not. It's not Rita's. I it's Jadori. It's Jadori. Oh, Sorry. Yeah. Okay. The ham, egg, and chips. I don't remember. It's a it's a sandwich. Yeah. And sandwich is a big clue. It's in the name. Guy's name. It's called Max. He has a shop. It's Max the Sandwich. There we go. Obviously went over my head. Edit that out of the podcast. <laughs> the Ari Gold. That's from, uh, it's quite good, isn't it? It's got peanut butter in it. Yeah, the Ari Gold has peanut butter. Does it? Mm-hmm. It's, no. it's a burger, obviously. It's a burger. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a patty, it's, patty it's, and bun uh, special. It's patty and bun. No, I knew that. <laughs> It's a really good burger. It is. It's a great. Yeah, burger. we have them here. We, we get them. We get them here because it's one close by. I don't know if it has peanut butter, but that sounds like a great the combination. Harry Gold. Yeah, yeah, it's got it's it's a it's a, a patty, cheese, smoked mayo, home pickled, and red, red onions. We haven't got the PM. No, PM no, no. The Harry Gold's got something weirder than that in it. Gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, who's making the best chocolate babka in town? Chocolate babka. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Straight up honest, I'm, I'm sick of this game. That would be Don't a good egg. They are Joel's no, restaurant. Joel's restaurant, yeah. yeah. And a good famed, shakshuka too. Yes, yes. Yeah, Joel's for great. Their yeah. yeah, and finally... Go on, you can say this one. The Baja Toefish Taco. Can't, I don't know. Is that Bredos? No. Close, next one wrong. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's Club Mexicana. Right. Vegan. It, that is a tofu vegan taco but the taste like fish it's delicious really i must go and try it yeah yeah the spread eagle yeah go check it out i think you did quite well there i don't know i feel a bit lame so yeah we're going to move on and find out about your london life right so i mean how long have you been a londoner i've been here since 2001 but i grew up here as well from about naught to seven maybe one to seven and then I grew up in Leicester. North to seven. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe one year. Do you um, feel like a Londoner? Yeah, totally. I don't have another identity. It's, it's Londoner first. And in a way, I feel so much like a Londoner that if I, I feel like if I leave 
the boundaries of the M25. Maybe even the North Circular. I may not exist. You know, like in Star Trek, there's a holodeck. I just spontaneously combust if I leave the M25. I sort of wonder if I have an existence independent of of London. I mean, now I sort of have begun to love Manchester and Edinburgh because they are really, really cool. I was just in Manchester yesterday. But I, I do feel like I'm a sort of, I'm not sure. If, I have so many memories. I don't know if you guys have that, but every street corner, everything where, you know, I went to, I went for a coffee in that coffee shop because I messed up that job interview and I was really pissed off or I had a fight with my girlfriend on that street corner or something. You know, yeah, it's like a patchwork of memories as you move around. Too yeah. much. And it's everywhere. It's every flipping bit of London has a memory. I get that. And then sometimes you're like, that's a bad one. I want to erase that one, do something better yeah. there. <laughs> um, whereabouts do you live? In Belsize Park. Is that your hood? Have you always lived there? I've been North London-ish. Yeah, so I've lived, um, I lived in West Hampstead for a bit. Lived in Belsize Park. Lived in, I lived in Primrose Hill for a few years, which is really good fun. Uh, yeah, so more or less. So where do you find inspiration in London? And not the scar tissue kind of street corners. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I just love the city a lot. I love wandering the city. I love... Um, I, I think a city becomes human when you find your places of refuge. So when you know that, you know, on a, on a sort of rainy day, or metaphorically speaking, when you're pissed off or sad or you, you want to go somewhere, if, if you know those places that you love to go to, I think the city really becomes human. And, and, then, and then you sort of find, find your thoughts, you find your way to think. And I, I used to love walking. I mean, walking up Primrose Hill is still one of, one of my joys. Walking along the canals is fantastic. Um, I still love going to the National Gallery. And there was a time when I worked in a different job, very, when I used to work long hours, very close to the National Gallery. And um, I remember uh, it, the job sometimes evolved working, you know, maybe all night um, to produce stuff. And I remember at 6.30 p.m. on a Wednesday, they have a little tour of the National Gallery. I don't know if you know that, but a guy or a gal from the National Gallery takes you to see eight of their favorite paintings. And it's all free, of course. So you can walk in there and you join the tour. And you get to know some of these paintings. And I got to know loads and loads of paintings over the course of doing these all-nighters. Then I go back to work at 7.30 oh my God. and then finish my work for another five or six hours or however long it took. And that became a real place of, of sort of joy for me as well. And even here as well, I think one of my favourite evenings in London still is um, to go to Sagram Wild for a glass of wine oh, just up here on the Hackney and Road. And a cheese toasty. And I, well, no, so there's the food. So I've got to be careful not to eat too much food because after Sagram Wild, you have to go to Braun. You have to walk across, you know, up Columbia Road. And for me, that is my still probably my favourite London evening is a couple of glasses of wine in Sagram while hang out with a barman there who know everything and and then go to Braun and just say, look, bring me your favourite food on the menu and, you know, the organic wines and stuff. It's just delicious. When was the last time you were really excited by a meal out? I mean, maybe it was Braun or is it someone else, somewhere else like that you kind of, you ate something totally That I was really excited. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think. I, I... I I love in London. I love Clipstone and Portland. So all of Will Lander stuff. They're fantastic, and I, I I try and go there every time I can. Obviously, Braun I really love. Um, I think if I think about the time I was just blown away recently was when I went to Alinea in Chicago. Do you know Alinea? It's it's Grant Ackett, um who's created a I don't know how many courses, twenty courses or something. But he really deconstructs everything and recontextualizes stuff, and um, you know r- really incredible cooking. When you, um, to, to, for example, the final course was a big taffy balloon that comes along and you start eating the balloon and it's helium. So helium comes into your mouth and you start speaking in a, obviously a helium way. That sounds like a Bombus and Parr experience. <laughs> yes. Oh, really? I've, I've not done that. But, 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 but even stuff like he brings you this sort of, um, 
so sort of food, which then you have to eat out of a newspaper with with a can of beer and and stuff all over the table, and recontextualizing fine Chinese food in a takeaway sort of environment was brilliant. It just messed with your head a lot. And then he comes out, and one of the desserts is just all over the table, and he scatters it everywhere, and you eat it. And one time you, you're finding the food um, in this pile of twigs, and then he sticks a brick under the twigs to light them. Then you eat that, and then then he says, right, the the brick is actually meat, and you have to eat that. Wow. So it all just messes with the head. And, and he's an interesting chef because I think he, um, there was a New Yorker article about him. He lost his sense of taste because of cancer a bunch of years ago. And then through, through this sort of therapy, I guess he had, had um, you know, radiotherapy or chemo, but he got his taste back one taste at a time. Oh, wow. So he got salty and then sweet and then sour. And, and so he, he, he talks about that being a real, he has an ability to then delineate taste in a way that he couldn't before. I mean, he's an incredible, incredible chef. Wow, what a story. I want to go there. Yeah. It's a good New Yorker article on Grant Ackett's. Definitely. Um, if you could open a restaurant anywhere in London, do you have a place in mind? Could be a building you could take over. Or... Almost like a, f- a fantasy. Or oh, really? really? Yeah, yeah. That's a good surprise question, isn't it? Mm. I mean, I, I really love this part of town and further east. So, so short it should sort of Hackney. Door. Can I not just next say door. that? I just, I love, I love this part of town. And I love sort of Hackney in this area. But uh, I don't know. I might have to come back to you on that one. I have no okay, idea. Okay, have a think. Um, so, um, what was the last sort of gig or cultural outing that you went to? You're a big fan of music. I am. Uh, you chatted about it. I what? love music. But do you find the time to go? No, because I have three young kids. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then you know all your babies your restaurants yeah yeah I'll, I'll think of that in a minute i'm just trying to think of a cool cool cultural thing that i've done recently what does what does a typical weekend look like for you is it it's quite kid focused yeah 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 where do you take them how you set your farm <laughs> <laughs> we take them clubbing typically <laughs> Uh, although you can go kids clubbing, you I've can. discovered. Yeah, you can. Headphones. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah that's quite yeah. popular, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. So we, we, well, we tend to. So we cook at home on a Saturday night, and then on a Sunday, the, the kids will watch a film with us, and, and we sort of chill out and do that. We'll take them for a walk on Hampstead Heath. Um, you know, p- pretty pretty normal stuff. So I'm afraid it's not not a super exciting weekend. It's a downtime. It's important. Yeah. And then yeah. on Sunday night, I go ra- raving. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Getting it six. Yeah. <laughs> Right, are we ready for the next round? Sonia, bring out the bowler hat. The London Lowdown. This right. is a very special bowler hat. It's my boyfriend's granddad's hat. And there's his initials when he used to work in the city. So every time I take it to any podcast recording, I'm terrified. That this is cool. I'm you just, don't spill you your tea on you it. You did just sit on it, right? No. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here you go. Pick a question, read it out, and then answer. Okay, here we go. Fave London gig venue. Oh, that's back to where we just were. I don't know, Union Chapel. Yeah, it's good. Great one. It's pretty good. Went to Coco recently. Yeah. Yeah, we did our Christmas party there. Oh, Isn't Coco. that cool? Yeah. Amazing. It's been amazing. Yeah. And and we had a bunch of dancers and it was just it was just an amazing, amazing thing to do. So Great. I'm off for that. Okay. Yeah, London. I mean, a jazz cafe. I love jazz. So, yeah. So I'm a big fan of that. I saw Ike Turner once at Ronnie Scott's. Why? And it was sort of uncomfortable because of his history. Mm. And I got taken there by a friend. He was wearing a red jumpsuit and he sort of danced around. He was, I don't know how old he is, but he was in his sort of 70s or even 80s then. And he, he sang really, really well. And then at one point he sort of leered at the audience in his red jumpsuit. And he said, uh, he said, he sort of said, don't tell Tina. 
and, and then he it brought out yeah. right well it was sort of weird and then he brought out this Tina Turner lookalike and sang all the Ike and Tina hits and I, I just it felt That's really really not creepy okay. it wasn't okay um, yeah that was sort of weird but Ronnie Scott's cool love it here we go next one if you could live anywhere in London where would you live Ah, oh, that's a good question. Uh, I could be boring and say this part of town, which I do love. I I think I'd, I love Primrose Hill, actually. I think it's a really nice place to live. Just next to the hill. I love walking up that hill and seeing the that view. That view. London. Such a good view. <laughs> it's got, gotten rid of so many hangovers. Believe me. Primrose Hill. I can up that hill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and do you remember that piece of graffiti on the way up the hill? It's gone now. And some somebody had written, and the view is so nice, which I think is a quote from some Oasis song. And, and th- that was there for years. And I thought the council were leaving there as a piece of heritage and they rubbed it out. It was such a shame. Classic. Yeah. What makes London so special? That's a huge question. It's huge. Uh, it's it's just time. It's too, too <laughs> big a question. London is the greatest city in the world. I, I love everything here. I love, I love the way you can walk into a gallery. I love the way the food scene is amazing. I love the complete cultural diversity. I love that um we voted for a muslim mayor not because he was muslim because nobody cared he was muslim it just wasn't an issue Mm. so over here i think we we do things i I think in a way that is um i don't know i would say that i'm a londoner but i wish the rest of the world would learn from londoners Mm. um yeah i think london's just an incredibly special city just just because of the amount of cool stuff that's in it and the cool people that are in it i think that's 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 such a a positive note to, to end on yeah, thank That's you so great. much, Mel. That Pleasure. was amazing. Thank, thank you. you. Cheers. Good. Sonia, I think I can hear your stomach rumbling. I'm so hungry after all that chat about bacon arms. Let's go get one. Yes, let's do it. Well, that was a great chat. Thanks so much for listening. Yes, listeners, please like, share and subscribe. And if you know a cool Londoner that you think we should chat to, tweet us at London the Inside. And tune in to Londoners next time for more fascinating chats. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.